Good evening, Emmaus. For those of you who may not know me, my name is Tina, and I serve as the campus director at Yonsei University. And we also have Rona Bab and Eunice that are serving as the campus director at SNU and at KU. <laughs> um, but before I uh, introduce the announcer, I'm not announcer. I'm the announcer. My bad, the speaker. Uh, <laughs> um, you guys already know who the speaker is tonight, right? How many of you guys have been blessed by her, her messages, by her? Yeah, because she spoke at all three campuses already. And so um, I hope you guys are ready for tonight. I'm actually really, really excited because honestly, today, I'm not going to, I don't know if you guys experienced this, but for today, like, I don't know, there was some, you know, the enemy was really trying to sort of get me angry today and steal my joy. Do you, do you guys sort of, did some of you guys feel that today? Like, even coming down here, like, I was getting off the bus, right? And immediately, this girl pushes me, right? And then I drop my phone and hits the face down. And then, to make it worse, this girl gets angry at me. And I was like, you pushed me. And you broke my phone. And you're getting angry at me? I was like, how dare you, right? And then, it cracked. So, my phone's cracked, too. And I was like... Oh, I was so close to getting super annoyed, right? Super annoyed. But you know what? It was, it was proof to me at that moment. What I could have chosen was to get really annoyed and be like super, you know, and be like, oh, my phone, my expensive phone. But it was just proof that tonight's going to be an easy night. And the enemy is scared, all right? Because he knows that it's going to be an awesome, powerful evening for each and every one of you guys. So, for, I don't want to talk any longer, so I'm going to introduce our speaker for tonight. She is the lead, co-lead pastor of New Philadelphia Church and the executive director here at Emmaus. So let's give a round of applause to Pastor Aaron Lee. Wow. That's intense. You guys don't even understand how nervous I am right now. You know how often I preach? I mean, I preach a good amount of times. And there are only certain, certain times I get really nervous. And, uh, you know, there are, there are times where it's like nervous, nervousness doesn't even touch me. But tonight is just, it's just one of those nights where I'm like shaking. I'm so nervous. And I think the reason why I'm so nervous is it's not so much about... Um, the fact that I have to preach or the word I have to give, I think as, uh, when I look at you guys, I feel completely humbled that I get to preach to you. You know, like if I were to preach in front of, I don't know, like John Piper or like Mark Driscoll or I don't know, certain preachers that I have so much respect for Robert Morris. I mean, there's a lot of preachers that I have a hold to high esteem. And if I were to preach in front of them, the truth is I would probably be really intimidated and really nervous. It's kind of like that. If you had to go in front of the president of the United States or the president of Korea and had to give some sort of presentation, there's going to be a difference between giving a presentation in front of your friends, your peers, and someone that you really hold to high esteem, right? So when I really think about who you guys are, it makes me nervous. When I think about the, the audience and to whom I'm preaching to, it's like intense. Because when I see you, I mean, you hold so much significance. And each of your lives holds so much power and so much weight. It's a little nerve-wracking that I, I have to preach to you. And so what we're going to do is I want you to, we're going to pray again. But this time what I want you to do is I want you to extend your hand and I want you to pray for me. Because I need your prayers. And I want you to pray that tonight, that the word that's going to come out of my mouth is purely 100% going to be saturated with God's anointing. I can talk about a bunch of things. I mean, I'm a talker. Naturally, I'm a talker. And I can stand here and talk about a whole lot of things, but I don't want to talk about anything. I want to talk about something that God wants you to hear specifically tonight 
on this day for your life. And so just extend your hand, and I want you guys to pray for me. And that's how we're going to start this, this message, okay? I go, open your mouths and pray. Don't do none of that quiet prayers, all right? I need your loud prayers, all right? There's a time and a place. The place right now is for the loud prayer. So stretch out your hand and pray for me. All right, go ahead, pray. God, I thank you that when I'm weak, you are strong. And I thank you that tonight you've allowed me to be your messenger. And I pray, God, that the word that leaves my lips, God, would be your word. And I pray that every word, God, would have lasting impact on those that are hearing it. God, I thank you and I honor the people that I preach to tonight. And I thank you that to you, they're significant. They're worthy. And so, Father, I just pray, Lord, that your power would come down. And I pray, God, that the words that are spoken, God, would break off deception, that it would break away doubt, and that it would break away apathy. And I pray that hearts would be awakened and that the dead bones of this generation would rattle together and be made back into life. God, breathe your breath on this sermon today. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, I want you guys to open up your Bibles to Ecclesiastes. Chapter 3, verse 11. Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, verse 11. How many of you guys are from Yonte, the Yonte campus? All right, what about SNU? SNU? Oh, dang. All right. KU, where you at? You know that was Joe Pang. <laughs> I heard uh, I heard that uh, Korea University and Yonsei University recently battled it out, huh? You know uh, who won? It was a tie, and I heard I heard that it's all about the soccer game, huh? You know what I want to say about that is in the kingdom we're all on the same team, guys. But congratulations, Yonsei. <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> All right, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. Man, this podium is so high. Can we um, move this and then get, get me a stand that's a little bit lower? That's good, that's good. All right, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 3.11. All right, I have the ESV version here. Uh, whatever version you have, just read it out loud. Okay, here we go. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Scripture says he has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. He has put eternity into man's heart. What the scripture is saying, in your heart right now is eternity. In your heart right now, there is a longing, there is a desire, there is an awakening, there is an interest for eternity. You know, I wonder how many of you guys actually think about eternity on a daily basis? What's eternity? What's eternal? Can you even understand when we say the word eternal? What, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? You know, when I was a young kid, I grew up in the church. So I heard the word eternity a lot and I heard it in the context of heaven and hell. 
if you believe in Jesus and you believe what he did on the cross for, for your sins, then you will have eternal life. That for eternity, you will live with God. And if you don't believe in Jesus, because he's the only way, the only truth, and the only life, then you will experience eternal damnation in hell. Eternal pain, eternal pleasure, eternity. And when I would think about eternity as a kid, honestly, I like, it, w- it would literally make my brain hurt. Because I would think about it, but I just, I could not understand. Because everything that I know in this world has a beginning and an end. Everything that I know, it starts somewhere and it ends somewhere. For something to be unending, I don't understand. And for many of us, our grid is not there for eternity. Yet God says he sets eternity in our hearts. What does it mean to have eternal pleasure? What does it mean to live forever? What does it mean to have eternal pain? Eternal disconnection with God. These are heavy things, guys. You know that word eternity in Hebrew, it's olam. Everyone say olam. 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 And that word olam, it means forever, always, continuous, perpetual, everlasting, indefinite, unending future, eternity. Olam. God has put olam in your hearts. You know, the truth is most of us don't even think about eternity. If you were to answer that question soberly and truthfully, even today, how many of you guys thought about eternity today? Wow, praise the Lord, Mona. Sometimes you need to think about now, but you know, that's another message. (laughs) I'm like, most of us on a day-to-day basis, we don't think about eternity. And the reason why is because one of the devil's tricks, one of his greatest schemes, one of his biggest weapons against God's people or against people in general is to make us obsessed with today. It's to make us obsessed with this life and this life alone. This is all there is. We have only one life. You got to live it to the fullest. You only live once. Hashtag YOLO. (laughs) That's it. That's it. So you got to live it up. You got to do it up every single day. Whatever you want. Why? Because you only live once. It's all about this life. It's all about what this life has for you. That's one of Satan's greatest deceptions because the truth is you are made for eternity. Your life is in the context of eternity. God put olam in your hearts. If you were made for eternity, then are you living for eternity? Your desires, everything that you're working for right now, does it have eternal weight? I wonder, I wonder if we think about that. You know, some of our greatest desires, our accomplishments. What status are you trying to obtain? Are you trying to gain an eternal status or a temporary one in this world? Is it about the car you drive, the house that you want to live in, the career you want to have, the husband you want to get, the wifey you want to marry? The little dog that runs to you at the end of the day of the work, the white picket fence? What are you living for? Why do you study at school? Why do you work your butts off, pull all-nighters, go to the cafe, pretend you're studying, you know you're not studying, (laughs) have study dates, which really means hanging out with friends. But at some point, you work hard. You put your effort, you put your time into school. Many, that's where you guys are at right now. Why? For what purpose? Why do you wake up in the morning? Why do you put the clothes on that you put on every day? Who are you trying to please? For what reward are you trying to gain? What I'm trying to tell you is what God wants you to understand is that you live and you were made for eternity. And what Satan wants you to embrace is that you were simply made for this life and this life alone. This is a game changer in how we live. You live for today, you live for this earth, or you live for eternity. This is a game changer, folks. Everything under the sun It's going to fade away. Like I said, in this world, there's always a beginning 
and an end. And guess what? That includes your life. Here's the truth, guys. We're going to die. That's intense, huh? I'm going to make it more intense. Turn to your neighbor and say, we're going to die. Oh, all y'all coming back next week, right? I had a great time. Most depressing message ever. We're all going to die, but guess what? When you confront death, that's often where you understand life. I don't know if you guys ever lost a loved one, but I have. I've lost some really important people in my life. And I've seen death in my face. Some of you even almost died, whether it was an accident, whether it was something that happened to you, on the brink of death. When you face death, that's when you truly examine life. And I wonder, I wonder, if I were to tell you today that you have one more day to live, and you look back on your life, how much of what you've done so far has meaning? How much of what you worked so hard to obtain has eternal weight, has purpose? You know, heaven is not going to have a who wore it best. Going to be looking at your clothes and the style that you have and the swag that you walk in. Heaven doesn't really care about those things. Heaven's not going to talk about the hairstyle that you had or the awards that you won or the trophies that you have or the degrees or the university that you graduated from. I wonder if you know what heaven really considers. Where's the weight? Where's the purpose? You know, there's something about thinking about death that's actually really important. You know, this original verse, Ecclesiastes verse 3 to 11 is written by King Solomon, and it's written by King Solomon towards the end of his life. This is before he kind of turned away from the Lord, which is another story. It's not about how you start. It's about how you end. But this is King Solomon in his old age, and he's reflecting about his life. And all of Ecclesiastes is everything was done in vain. This is vanity. Wisdom, vanity. Self-indulgence, vanity. Everything that he tried to work for and toil is vanity. When he looked at the end of his life and he realized everything that he put his hand to, he said it means nothing. It's, it means nothing. It's meaningless. That sounds like a really depressing book, but it's an important book because what he's pointing out is everything in this world ends to nothing. And if you look at Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 2, just quickly turn there. It says this, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, for this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. What? It is better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting. In the New Living Translation, which is like a hardcore paraphrase version of the Bible, it says this, it's better to go to funerals than parties. You go from more, you know, house of mourning, house of feasting to funerals and parties. It's better to go to funerals than parties because man's life will end. We should think about this. All of men's life will end. We should think about this. What? He's saying it's better to go to funerals than parties. I don't know about you, but I don't get excited about going to funerals. You know what I mean? I'm not like, oh, yay, you know, next week I got this funeral coming up. No, we get excited about going to parties. But here's King Solomon at the end of his life, and he's saying there's significance in this. What he's trying to say is think about death. It's important. And I'm not saying that in like a suicidal, like, oh, you know, in a a depressive kind of way. I'm saying it in a sober judgment. We should consider death. Because when we consider death, we reflect and look at our life for what it is. You know, there's this, they call it Hagwon. It's like an academy. It's called Coffin Academy in Korea. Coffin Academy in Daejeon. And this academy is where you pay $25 to go, and you get a glimpse of what death would be like. And for over four hours, what you do, you go in a group, you write letters of goodbyes 
to everyone that you love. Oh, goodbye, so-and-so, goodbye, so-and-so. And then you write your own kind of like eulogy or what would be written on your grave. You write that out. And they literally put you in a coffin and they put the lid over you and you have to lie down like this. No, for real, like this. And for 10 minutes, you have to stay in that coffin. The whole purpose of the academy is to reflect on death and in actuality to reflect on your life. And major corporations send their employees to this coffin academy because they realized that when all of these employees go to this coffin academy, they, they understand that some of, the, some of the ways that they've been living is not helpful. They're confronted by their behavior. They're confronted by their relationships. They're confronted by their choices. They're confronted by their decisions. And often, the way that this academy works is, you know, 10 minutes you're in the coffin. And they say, when you come out of the coffin, it's like you're reborn. This was in the Los Angeles Times, and the title was, South Koreans experience what it's like to die <laughs> and live again. <laughs> South Koreans experience what it's like to die and live again. For them, it's kind of like their born-again experience. Isn't that interesting? People pay money to do this. Corporations are paying money to send thousands of their employees to go through this process because people have realized thinking about death can actually be beneficial. It's weird. We know we're going to die, but often we live life like we're going to live forever. Man, when I read that, I was like disturbed and intrigued. And I was like, should we do that at the next Emmaus retreat? You know what I'm saying? Get those. <laughs> Everyone's like, what? So what? You know, my main question for you guys tonight is what defines your life? What defines your life? James 4, 14 says this. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. The world is trying to say everything that we want, everything that we need, everything that we want to obtain is in this life. And yet in scripture, it's like the complete opposite spirit. Your life is but a breath. The world wants to tell you, live for today, YOLO. It's all you have. Scripture says it's but a moment. What does that mean for you and I as believers who believe in Jesus Christ, who believe that when we die, we actually will resurrect in our bodies, glorified bodies, and we're going to live eternally, forever, olam. What does that mean for us? What defines your life? I know for a long time, I defined my life. I lived for me. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. And there was a season where church tried to define my life because I grew up in the church. And I was like, chill out. I'm not having that. You can't tell me what to do. It's my life. And so I went out and I do whatever I want. I defined my life. My life revolved around me. It was about me being the main character. You know, when you read books, when you watch movies, you know you always put yourself in the position of the main character. You're not thinking, oh, I want to be the extra you know, oh, I can totally relate to that, you know, that guy randomly walking past by. No, you're thinking, I'm the star. I'm the main character. This is how we live our lives. Like, it's all about us. It's true. But what does scripture say? Your life is like a vapor. Your life is like a vapor. Does your life revolve around you? Let's be honest here. Let's be honest here. What is your life? You know, even when I was preparing this sermon, I was like, hmm. God's like, Aaron, does your life revolve around you? I'm like, oh. I'm thinking, oh, I fall into this all the time. Where I make it about me, God. That's the truth. I fall into this all the time where I think it's all about me. You know, Francis Chan wrote a book called Crazy Love. How many of you guys actually read Crazy Love? 
Okay, a few of you guys. I'm going to give an example from Crazy Love. And he gives this illustration where suppose you are an extra in a movie, like a blockbuster movie, like the next, I don't know, Brad Pitt. Actually, you know, he's old. Um, the next, who's, who's like up and coming? Ryan Gosling. What? I mean, he looks good, but... I think that's where that ends. Okay, no. You know, suppose you're an extra of the, the next blockbuster uh, movie, and you come out for like two-fifths of a second. Okay, this is Francis Chan's illustration. Momentarily. Okay? When you watch that movie, you know all you're going to be doing is waiting for that two-fifths of a second to come out, and you're going to wait till the back of your head goes across the screen and be like, that's me! That's me! And maybe, just maybe, your mom and your best friend's going to be with you and like, that's her. That's her. But guess what? Everybody else does not care. <laughs> and everybody else will not know that it's your back of the head for two-fifths of a second in that blockbuster hit. Because the movie ain't about you. Imagine if you rent out a whole theater and you're like, guys, watch this. There's a film made about me. I'm starring in the film. And you show that same movie and you're an extra, two-fifths of a second. You know what your friends are going to say? What? <laughs> you see that? You see that? You see, you see that? You see that? That's all about me. People are going to think you're delusional. In fact, that's the way we live our lives. Our life is but a vapor, but a breath, and yet we are so convinced that we're the star of the show. I wonder in the context of life, in the context of creation, in the context of eternity, who is actually the main character? Let me give you a hint. It's not you. See, God created the heavens and the earth. And then God created man. And God breathed life into man. And God made covenant with man. And then God saw man fall but created an opportunity for man to be redeemed through his son, Jesus Christ. It was God. This is God's story. You and I are in a movie. Yes. We play a role. We do. But we ain't the main character. It's not about you. God is the star of this story. This is so important to understand because too often we consider ourselves a lot more important than we actually are in the context of the world. Who's the movie about? The truth is our lives are meaningless. It's pointless. That's depressing, huh? It's pointless. It's meaningless when we live outside of God's will and outside of the understanding of who God is. I told you at the beginning of this message that you're significant. And what? You're like, what? Now you're telling me I'm meaningless and my life is like an extra and I'm like the back of the head of a movie? What is she talking about? Open up to Psalm 139. Stay with me here. Psalm 139. All the way from verse 1 to 24. We're going to read this whole psalm. All right, I'm going to read a verse, and then I want you guys to read the verse along with me. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me be night. Be 
For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Here's the main character of the show. This is the star. This is who it's all about. And here in scripture, it says that he knows your thoughts, that he considers you, that he created you and he knitted you together in your mother's womb. That he knows your thoughts and he knows your words even before you say them. This is a God that calls you valuable and worthy. This is the main character of the movie. And guess what? He cares for you. Guess what? He loves you. Guess what? He sent his only son to die on the cross for you. You can't understand what God has done until you realize how low we are. You can't understand the magnitude of his love until you realize how far away we were from it. Our life is but a breath without God, and God breathed into us. This world, this earth is but a moment, but because of God's love, he opened up the doors of eternity for you and I. This is not a God who's distant. It's not a God who doesn't care. It's not a God who mimics your father that left you or abused you. This is a God who's a perfect father, who cares for you, who will never leave you, never forsake you. This is a father that knows exactly what you've done and what you think and still says you are worthy. We can fool a lot of people around us, but you can't fool God. You can cover things up in your life, but you can't cover up anything when it comes to the Lord. And regardless, God sees your every move your every decision, and he still says, I love you. He still says that you're precious. You know, there's a good quote that says, you're not loved because you're worthy. You're worthy because you're loved. God doesn't love you because you're worthy. He doesn't love you because of what we've done or our righteous acts or because what we can do for him. God loves you. He loves you, and that's what made you worthy. You're significant and you're powerful and your life can change nations because God is for you. Because he created you. Because the star of the show showers his love on you. Can you imagine that? We swing on the wrong side of tensions. We think, God, we're important. I don't know how important you are in my life, but I'm important. Or we go to the other extreme. God, I'm nothing. I'm nobody. My life has no significance. Nothing can I do. Nothing can I do will ever make an impact on anybody or anything. Two deceptions. God says it's true. That when we live for this world, we live for nothing. But when you live for him, everything that you do has eternal weight and eternal value. Why do you study? Why do you wake up? Why do you talk to people? Why do you love on people? Why? Because in heaven, there's an eternal weight of glory waiting for you. When eternity defines your life, your life has greater purpose. Is it you that defines your life? Or is it eternity? You know, God made a covenant with Abraham. It's the same covenant that you and I are in when we receive Jesus Christ 
And it's something that we're adopted into. Genesis 17, 7 says, And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you through their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. That word everlasting is what? Olam. God's covenant with us made through Abraham is Olam. It's a covenant of eternity. His commitment to you is not one just framed in this age or in this world or in your lifetime. It's one of eternity. That means you and I are enveloped in him for eternity. You know, Mike Bickle, he's the founder of IHOP, International House of Prayer. And he illustrates our life on earth like this. Our life on earth is an internship for our life in heaven. We're in an internship, guys. This isn't, this isn't it. This is an internship. I don't know if you guys have been on internships before, but usually you don't get paid. In fact, you're the one that's paying the cost during your internship, but you do it as an investment for what's to come. Everything that you do, every copy that you make, every photocopy thing that you print out, everything that you do that you would consider labor, you see it as an investment for a job to come. Our life is an internship. It's but a breath in the span of eternity. But what we do in this life still counts. Some people think the way that we live in this life, it's going to disappear. Like Jesus is going to return. You know, and then we're going to get saved. We're all going to wear crowns. We're going to dance around. We're going to completely forget about this life. That's not true. What you do in this life right now has eternal ramifications. How you live your life. The decisions that you make has eternal ramifications. This is where Christians don't get it. Because we think, I'm going to live my life to the full, do it the way that I want until, like, I'm 60. And then I'm going to turn back to the Lord. I'm going to repent. Sorry, God. And I'm going to be all good because I'm still going to get to heaven. You've wasted your life. Matthew chapter 6, 19 to 21, it says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You know what this scripture is saying? You can actually lay up treasures in heaven right now on this earth in our very life. I don't know about you, but that seems like a better investment Are you going to go for the things where you find reward here in this lifetime? Or are you going to live a life that's going to reward you for eternity? What defines your life? You know, every job defines the internship. You don't intern at a hair salon in order to go get a job for, you know, at a lawyer's, what? Law firm. (laughs) That's like a lawyer's workplace. The internship doesn't define the job. The job defines the internship. Eternity defines our life here on earth. Why do we need to live with that mindset? Because it changes everything. What are you investing in? What are you living for even right now? Guess what? God placed Olam in your heart. There's something inside of you that's craving for more. There's something inside of you that says, man, if all I have to live for is like a good future with a good marriage with some kids, hopefully I'll have enough money for retirement so I can retire in Florida where it's nice and warm. If that's all, there's something inside of you that's dissatisfied with that thought. There's something inside of you that was created and urges and longs and knows that there has to be more than what's offered in this life alone. That's the olam in your heart. In fact, that olam is not just in believers, it's in non-believers. If you look at other religions, they talk about afterlife. We're not the only ones that think about those things. Certain religions that talk about reincarnation. If you live a good life, then you can be a good person in the future. If you live a bad life, you're going to come back like as an ant. Until you live your life as an ant with, a, with good intentions and maybe you'll get promoted to like a cockroach or whatever the order of species may be. But there's something inside of us that wonders what's after death. 
There's no guarantee of tomorrow. That verse, but a breath, but a vapor, a mist. The context of that verse is the arrogance of people who are saying, well, tomorrow I'm going to go do this and that and this and that. And Apostle Paul's like, what? You don't own tomorrow. You don't even know if you have tomorrow. Tomorrow isn't up to you. It's up to God. That's like humbling, isn't it? Your plans are in the hands of God. I don't know if you guys thought about death recently. But I want to encourage you guys. Think about death for a moment even now. If you were to die tomorrow and you reflect on your life right now for the way that you lived it, how significant has it been? How much of what you've done and lived for will actually count when you go in front of the God, the judge, the Alpha and the Omega, when he says your name and he takes account of the life that you lived? I wonder. Our time on earth is going to be evaluated. Just like an internship at a job would be. There's going to be an evaluation. Joe Pang, he's interning as a staff with Emmaus. He's our first ever intern, actually. He was a student with us at Yonsei as an exchange student, like, how many, like, a year ago? Two years ago? Two, what is this? <laughs> two years ago? Dang, it's been two years? Wow. Really? Two years for Joe Pang? A year and a half, I was about to say. Joe Pang was here about a year and a half ago. Homie was partying it up, drinking it up, living it up. YOLO, hashtag. <laughs> he was doing anything and everything, living for today until God dramatically encountered him. Changed his life, turned it upside down. Homie's majoring in business, but he's doing an internship with a campus ministry. You know why? Because he's trying to build up treasures in heaven. Because he knows when you seek first the kingdom of God, then all these other things will be added onto you. There's an understanding in his mind about the weight of eternity in his life that he's starting to step into. Completely transformed, changed. And at the end of this internship, guess what? I'm going to have to evaluate this kid. And I'm going to have to go and tell his supervisor how good he was as an intern with the Mayus. And I'm not going to lie, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> So what you do will count. <laughs> but I'm going to evaluate his time. He's not just going to come do it and leave. I have to sit down. I have to think about what he's done. I have to think about how he's grown. I have to think about the decisions that he's made. And I have to evaluate him and send an honest report back to his supervisor. Our life on this earth is but a breath, but it counts. Right. It's like a vapor, like a mist, but it's still counts. But the only way it would have significance to it is if we live our life today in the context of eternity. When you live your life like an investment, then when your life gets evaluated, you have so much to show for it. Philippians chapter 3 verse 17 to 21 it says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I've often told you, and now even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to even subject all things to himself. We are citizens of heaven. Why does Paul mention that to the Philippi church? It's to put into context that this isn't home. This is temporary. Our home is in the context of of eternity. We are citizens of eternity. 
We are visitors here on earth, foreigners here on earth. And we await a time when Jesus returns. You know, this thing about eternity is the longing isn't really going to go away. Everything that you desire, even the things that God's put on your heart, it's actually not going to be satisfied on this earth in this age. Because you were built for olam, God put some things in your heart that will never be quenched before you die. It will only happen when Christ returns, when we live in eternity, that everything that we've been longing for will fully be satisfied. That's why the people in Scripture cry, Maranatha, come, Jesus, come. Because deep down they know until he comes, until Jesus returns, that longing that's deep inside of us won't be satiated. We can't live for just today. It's important to live today, but we can't live just for today. We're called to live for eternity. You know, Psalm 139, if you guys flip back to verse 24, 23, 24. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That word everlasting in Hebrew is what? Olam. God put olam in your heart. He made a covenant with us through Abraham that he would be the God of Olam. And now here King David is pouring out his heart to God and saying, lead me in the way of Olam. What he's saying is, God, I want to live for eternity. Lead me to walk in the way of eternity. That's his heart. That's his desire. If that's your desire, then you got to pay attention to the verse before it. Search me, oh God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. God knows your every thought. He already knows. But there's a difference between him knowing your every thought and you asking him, God, search my heart. Search my thoughts. Why? Because David's inviting God. And then show me. Show me what's off, God. Show me what's not pleasing to you. Show me where I missed it, God. Show me where I'm wasting my time. Show me where I'm not pleasing. Show me where I've rejected you. Because all those things, I want to put it back into the right place of walking in the ways of eternity. This is David's heart. It's a heart of repentance. You know, today's supposed to be revival night. Woo! Revival. You know what revival really is? Revival means to turn away from the old life and to turn to Christ. In essence, revival is repentance. That's revival. In 1907, Korea experienced the outpour of the Spirit. And interestingly enough, it happened in North Korea, in Pyongyang. And there was an outpour. Up to that point, there were missionaries. In fact, some of your schools were founded by such missionaries who poured out their lives for the Korean people. And the Holy Spirit broke out. Revival broke out. You know how it started? It started with one person going onto the stage and confessing their sins, repenting. I repent. That person walks off, and then all of a sudden, another person, I repent of this. And then another person, I repent of this. And then another person, I repent of this. These are things that Korea would shame you for. Things where society would say, don't talk about that. Don't be exposing that. That's like private stuff right there. Shouting it out in front of all people. I repent. It was repentance. That repentance defined revival. Today's revival night. But I can't just talk about the outpour of the Spirit without first talking about repentance. 
You can't talk about the benefits and the goodness of God without first forsaking what's not good. What part of your life do you know has not pleased the Lord? You know, we talked about internships earlier. Sometimes we live our internship pleasing our coworkers more than our boss. And it's all about what our coworker, oh, let me do what my coworker likes, and let me do it like my coworker, and, and this and that. We, we try to impress one another and live for one another and live for the esteem of one another, when in reality, the person that's going to hire you at the end is the boss. In an internship, you got to please the boss. The boss is the one with the authority to hire you or fire you. Not your coworker. You're wasting your time trying to suck up to the coworker. We live too much for the coworkers. We live too much for the praise of man. We need to turn away from our desire to please people and turn to a desire to please God. This is not an easy message. But guess what? You're not meant to live an easy life. In fact, so many of you right now are bored of your Christianity. You're bored out of your minds. When I talk about relationship with God, you're bored. Are you going to come out and, and worship the Lord? I don't know, maybe. I'll see if I want to that day. It's surrounded by boredom and no expectation. But I'm telling you, it's because you're living life easy. We were created to live for more than what the world has to offer us. That means there's going to be some challenges. That means dying to ourselves. That means laying down our lives for one another. That means it's not going to be easy. If life is comfortable, you're living it wrong. We're called to live a dynamic life. A life that's exciting. A life that will have eternal weight. A life that was worth the race that we're called to run. A life that at the end, God can crown us with a crown of glory and say, well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. I'm not here to just talk about how good God is going to make your life. I'm here to talk about how giving your life down for him is worth it. What do you live for? What defines your life? What defines your life? If death confronted you, what would your honest, sober evaluation be? You were created for eternity. God set Olam in your heart. And the message that I have for you tonight is that there's more. There's more than the life that you're living. There's more pleasure. There's more joy. There's more impact. There's more destiny. There's more value. There's more significance than what you can even see right now at this moment. And it all goes back to this. We love him. Because he first loved us. Psalm 139, he knew you before you were born. Your life is but a vapor, but look what it says. In your book were written every single one of the days that were formed for you. Your life is but a mist, it's but a, it's but a vapor, but God knows every single day that you're going to live. Every single day, it's written in his book. There's a crazy paradox that's happening here. What do you live for? How are you going to play this out? What do you want to do? Which direction do you want to go in? What purpose are you going to hold on to? The purpose for comfort today? The purpose for promising comfort tomorrow or the purpose of eternity? Guess what? Whether you believe what I'm saying or not, it's stirring in your heart right now because Olam is in your heart.
You know, I lived my life for a good period of time for this age. And I thought that everything that I would do and everything that I would work so hard for, it was all about the rewards that I would find and get in this age, in this time. And about junior year of college, after partying away, doing drugs, being promiscuous, clubbing, drinking, we didn't do Noreban in New York, really. Um, uh, you know, whatever it may be, I did it. Stealing, lying, gossiping. All those things I did. I lived for the pleasure of today. And then junior year, I get a phone call that my best friend crashed into a tree and died. She was 21 years old. I gave my first eulogy during finals week of my junior year of college. And I rushed and I took a three-hour car ride back into New York because I was in upstate. Sat and saw my friend. Her face double the size because you bloat when you die. She, she looked nothing like her. From the side, she looked like she was sleeping. But when I got to the casket, when the funeral was wrapping up and I saw her face, it was completely different. And I remember in that moment and in that season, I was confronted with death. No one imagined for her to die. No one thinks that. No one looks at your life and says, mm, well, guess what? You're only going to live till 21. No one expects that. No one lives like life may be that short. 21 years old, I said goodbye to my best friend. And I confronted death in the face. And when I did that and I looked back on my own life, it scared the crap out of me. I'm going to be real with you guys. The first thought that I thought when I got that phone call was, is she in heaven or is she in hell? That's the first thought. It wasn't, oh, you know, uh, I, I wonder how it happened or I'm going to miss her. No, it was, where is she going to be for eternity? That was the first thought, and it haunted me. It scared the crap out of me. I was so afraid. Because I realized then and there, there's no guarantee for tomorrow. And I wonder, everything that I've been doing up till now, what actually matters? What actually matters? And I had this insane fear that people that I would love would just start dying. I think it was just such trauma, losing someone that close. I just started thinking, like, everyone was going to die soon. And lo and behold, since then, I've had so many people that I love and that I care about die so early in their lives. You were made for more. And this life isn't just about doing good things. And it's not just about making sure that you stay out of trouble. It's not just about not sinning. This life is about waiting and living like you're going to live for eternity. The way that we're supposed to live right now should be a sign of the way that our life will be in heaven. This is an act of worship because there's one thing we're going to do forever and ever and ever and ever and ever, and that's to be in love with God. There's one being that we're going to be in awe of forever and ever and ever and ever, and that's God. There's only one that can love us in return forever and ever and ever and ever, and that's God. One of the persons that I love most dear to my heart is my husband. Five years of marriage, one and a couple of months of dating, that's my man. I love him. But even when we go into eternity, he's not going to be my husband anymore. Even the most intimate relationship that I'm going to have with someone on this earth ends when I go into eternity. 
When I walk into eternity, I'm not going to be married to a man named Christian Lee. I walk in married to a man named Jesus Christ. That is an eternal relationship, one that I seek and desire to start right now. What do you live for? What defines your life? There's no guarantee for tomorrow, guys. And this is not a message where I'm trying to impose fear. I'm not trying to, oh, you're going to die soon, so you better hurry up and believe in Christ because you never know. You might go to hell forever. No, that's a truth. That's true. But that's not the point of what I'm trying to say. I'm saying death is near, therefore live now. And live with a purpose that's greater than this life. Live for something that is eternal. Live for something that is unending. Live for something that's way more than what we can get in our old age. Live for eternity. Live for God. I'm trying to tell you that your life right now, it counts. It matters. And it's going to be evaluated. What evaluation are you going to get? I want you to close your eyes. You know who the most miserable people in life are on this earth today? It's lukewarm Christians. That's the most miserable of people. are lukewarm Christians. There's nothing more terrible than being a lukewarm Christian. You know why? Because a part of you knows that you can't sin. So when you do, there's a guilt and there's an understanding that's there. For non-believers, they don't have that. They don't consider it sin. So they're free from that thought. But as a believer, you have that thought. There's a haunting of sin, yet on the flip side, you don't know the satisfaction of God. You don't know the joys of God. You don't know the fulfillment of God. There's no more of a miserable person than a lukewarm Christian. And God is calling you tonight to not be a lukewarm Christian that lives for tomorrow, but to be a believer that's set on fire that lives for eternity. He wants you to live every single day like it's going to count. To live every single day like it's going to make a difference. Not here, not 10 years from now, not 20 years from now, but for eternity. He wants you to know that he put olam in your heart. And there's a part of you that longs for something more. And it will never be quenched. It can't be quenched except in the presence of God. You're either in or you're out. But don't put one foot here and one foot there. You're wasting your time. You're either in or you're out. This is God's call. He wants a generation that's set on fire for him. He wants a generation that will know and that will desire to even suffer for him. He wants a generation to experience his lavish love and the goodness of his mercies. He wants a generation that will live for eternity. That's what holiness is, is to be set apart. And too many of us are living just like others. It's revival night, but I don't have any tricks up my sleeve. I have one thing to offer you, and that's the call to repent. It's to understand that the creator God, he's the one that defines your life. That the creator God, he's the one that deems you worthy. That the creator God, he's the one that knitted you in your mother's womb and fearfully and wonderfully were you made. And that God that loved you so aggressively, that God that pursued you despite your rejection, that's the God that is wooing you even now for all of your heart, all of your life. 
purpose of life? What defines your life? Sometimes we need to go to funerals instead of parties to understand the depths of those questions. And there was a man who died a death for you, for me. And in that death, he took everything that we've done. He took all the shame, all the pain, all the regret, all the sin, all the rebellion, all the lukewarmness. Jesus took it all and he died on the cross. But the funeral doesn't end there. Because three days later, he resurrected. But he didn't resurrect back into the old life. You see, he res- resurrected into eternity. Jesus died to overcome death. God is asking you to do the same tonight. Will you die to yourself? Will you die to yourself in order to live for eternity? devil's going to try to distract you with things that have nothing to do with this message. He's going to try to lure you into thinking about things you need to do or places you need to go. Take every thought captive right now and ask yourself the questions that I'm asking you right now. Why do you live? What defines your life here on earth? some of you who've never made that choice to accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Some of you that have heard about him, some of you that heard him being preached about, some of you that know that that maybe this is something you look into, but you've never made that choice. You never said to yourself, God, not only do I believe in you, but I want to live for you. Even if you grew up in the church, you might have not made that decision. And I want you to make a decision right now. I want to invite you to make a decision that's going to impact all of your eternity. If that's you, I want you to just stand to your feet. And everyone else, I want you to just just be respectful. Just keep your eyes closed and just fixed on the Lord, this is going to be a very key moment. If that's you, if you want to make that decision right now, if you understand, if God is awakening your heart for eternity and you've never made this decision, I want you to stand to your feet.